Hello, changemakers. Welcome to another episode of the HIMSS Accelerate Health Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Amato. Within healthcare, virtual reality applications are currently being used to control pain, decrease anxiety, and reduce stress. New research has demonstrated a strong case for its use in care, both at home and in the hospital. How can this new effective therapy be scaled to a broader population of patients? My co-host today, John Sharp, will answer just that question as he speaks with Dr. Brennan Spiegel, Director of Health Services Research at Cedars-Sinai and author of the upcoming book, How Virtual Therapeutics Will Revolutionize Medicine. Over to you, John. Dr. Spiegel, glad to have you back on the HIMSS program. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's dive right in. There are a lot of questions about the use of virtual reality and other kinds of augmented reality in uh, medicine. And obviously, you're one of the world's experts on this. Um, so um, in the past, uh, or VR really, in my view, came out of the uh, gaming world or is seen as a luxury for exploring virtual f spaces. How has uh, VR gained credibility in medicine? Yeah, so VR, even before gaming, it, I think was really advanced through the military um, for simulating, you know, aircraft flight, helicopters, and so on. So a lot of the very earliest work uh, came out of the U.S. military. Um, as, you know, more accessible VR platforms became available, then certainly for gaming and entertainment, VR made a mark. But what we've learned over the years, long before I became involved, uh, was that virtual reality has this tremendous ability to uh, alter consciousness, our experiences of the world, both the world around us and the world within us. And if we use it effectively, then we can use it to promote positive cognitions about the world around us and the world within us. So the idea of using VR for healthcare is something that has been tested now for decades in psychology laboratories around the world in elite universities. But until recently, we haven't had low cost, highly effective um, headsets that we could clean and reuse and bring to the front lines of healthcare. Really, that's where, you know, doctors like me step in is we've taken all these years of research that have been hard fought by a lot of other investigators over many years and taken these new headsets that have been created and brought them up to the clinic or into the hospital and tested to see how it may be useful for a wide range of conditions. And uh, we can talk about all those different use cases. Yeah. So what are the, the really most uh, proven or most effective use cases you've seen so far? in terms of VR in medicine? Probably the most researched is pain, starting with acute pain and to a lesser degree, chronic pain. So the literature around acute pain has been expanding for years now, and there's now even meta-analyses, you know, studies of studies that demonstrate a consistent benefit of virtual reality to manage acute pain. 
And of course, some of the most famous research has come out of the University of Washington with Hunter Hoffman and his team using virtual reality in, in victims of severe burn injuries. And you know, this is one of the most severe experiences, pain experiences a human can sustain, going, having a, um, you know, advanced burns and then having to go through a bandage change, for example. And uh, he and his team have shown over the years that virtual reality can reduce the perceived pain during a bandage change among people with severe burn injuries and even demonstrated that in a randomized controlled trial. And what he's shown is not only does it reduce the physical experience of pain, but also the emotional experience of pain um, and the cognitive experience of pain. So it seems like virtual reality works by tamping down both the physical and emotional pain circuits in the brain. And he's shown that even with functional MRI scans of the brain of people first without VR and then with VR. And so as a result, you know, it's been studied in a number of different acute pain conditions. Um, our group has looked at this in hospitalized patients and found benefits in a randomized trial. We also recently looked at this in labor and delivery. Um, women undergoing childbirth were randomized to experience a Lamaze-style VR um, treatment compared to no VR and um, reported less pain. So there's a wide variety, everywhere from dentistry to physical rehab and lots of pain um, kind of syndromes where a VR seems to work quite well. Oh, that's amazing. What, uh, but what are some of the challenges in trying to do research uh, using VR in healthcare or even on the clinical uh, wards? Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a number of challenges, many of which we've been able to overcome. I mean, the first is just having availability of the headsets themselves. And I always say that the headset is kind of like a syringe. And what I mean by that is it's not the syringe that matters. It's the medicine that goes through the syringe that matters. And VR is, uh, is a syringe in that it's like a, it's just a platform. What matters is uh, the software that we're using. What software are we using for which patients? What are people seeing and hearing and feeling and experiencing? So the first challenge is getting the right headsets, getting the right software. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole issue of making sure we can clean these headsets, uh, decontaminate them, which was always important even before a pandemic, but uh, COVID just puts a point on that. So we've developed a number of uh, protocols which include uh, UVC exposure, UV light exposure, and specialized uh, boxes um, and topical um, surface decontamination and so on. Uh, and then there's other challenges like just explaining it to patients so that they're, you know, understand what it is that we're doing. And when we first started doing this, some patients were a bit hesitant to use VR as part of their treatment. Um, over time, though, as more people become familiar with the technology, we don't see as many barriers uh, on that level. Um, but that's just a, a sampling. There's, you know, a number of other challenges, but we've been uh, largely able to overcome them. That's great. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, as you mentioned, you know, a number of um, high, highly respected universities and hospitals are beginning to use it. And uh, I've heard you recommend uh, the idea of establishing a uh, VR pharmacy or a headset pharmacy. And do you recommend um, that this would be more broadly used in hospital and medical practices and that they make the investment both in the equipment and training. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I say uh, if VR is a therapy, then we need a VR pharmacy. Uh, in fact, that's sort of in the title of my new book, which I call VRX. So, you know, RX like a prescription, you know, VRX, a virtual prescription. And the whole notion is that, you know, as a, as a doctor, I wouldn't be a very good doctor if I gave everyone the same medicine. Uh, I need to pick the right medicine for the right patient at the right time. And similarly, you know, we think about digiceuticals, whether it's VR or otherwise, we need to pick the right digiceutical for the right patient at the right time. And for VR, ideally, uh, we would have a library of, um, you know, tens, if not hundreds of different evidence-based uh, therapeutic programs that are specifically designed uh, for different conditions. So, you know, VR, for example, has been used for stroke rehabilitation. Mm. It's a totally different experience than somebody using it for pain management. And even within pain management, it's very different if somebody's going through, you know, childbirth uh, compared to somebody undergoing um, a spinal tap. Lots of big differences there. We yeah. have to think about everything from what people are seeing and experiencing to how much mobility do they have at the time that they're undergoing VR. So that's the idea of having a VR pharmacy. Yeah. So it's not just the equipment and the training, but it's also the software program, the what, what they're going to view once they put it on. Um, and having, like you said, a large enough library that's very specific to uh, specific needs in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so how can we scale this if it, if it is as effective as you, as you said, and the research is out there demonstrating that, um, how can we get this to more patients? Do you think it's something that should be prescribed at home, for instance, as well as in the hospital and clinic? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at this point, science really isn't the barrier to using VR. It's, it's all the other more mundane stuff that we're talking about here. A staffing, availability, uh, insurance coverage, um, you know, these sorts of questions that we need to address now. And, uh, you know, we need more science. There's always a need for more science, but there's, you know, there's over 5,000 studies now. And I've written a whole book about this, uh, about, you know, the research supporting VR. Uh, just to be clear, you know, VR isn't some miracle. It's, it's uh, a way to, um, to modify our consciousness uh, using basic principles to um, move people from uh, unhealthy perceptions to healthy perceptions or uh, to promote certain behaviors or certain motions, physical motions, for example, in rehab. It's not a magic wand. Um, and the idea is it should be used to augment uh, traditional therapies. So what that requires is that we have some kind of a service that supports traditional medical therapies. We call this the virtualist. And the virtualist is, you know, the clinician whose job it is to, you know, use the VR in partnership with other doctors. And that will, over time, require a VR-type clinic. So at Cedars-Sinai, we're currently working on developing such a clinic uh, where, outside of research, uh, people can go to receive uh, VR treatments both on the outpatient side, answer that question, and on the inpatient side. Uh, and, you know, we're also working with insurance companies to educate them about this uh, therapy. You think about all the things insurance pays for uh, that far exceed, you know, the direct costs required to use a VR headset. And it's just no comparison. Um, you know, think about like a robotic surgery for prostate cancer. 
you know, these are, these are multi-million dollar uh, robots that provide a tiny bit of benefit over a traditional hand-sewn uh, prostatectomy, but insurance will cover it. And, you know, what we're talking about here are a couple hundred dollar headsets and software. Um, and, uh, you know, the business model around that, I don't think is all that challenging as long as we can get insurance companies to recognize the benefits of VR, which is just requiring somebody read through the science. So these are the things we're working on now is how do we implement this at scale um, throughout both inpatient and outpatient environments. Yeah, and in terms of its effectiveness too, there is some of the research around uh, preventing dependence on or prescription of opioids. Yeah, that's another area of great interest because this addresses the area of chronic pain. I was earlier talking more about acute pain, you know, um, labor and delivery, you know, spinal tap, um, you know, a colonoscopy. These are all examples, you know, burn injuries where VR is used for short-term management of pain. But chronic pain, uh, whereas acute pain is a symptom, chronic pain is a disease unto itself, a biopsychosocial illness experience. And um, so we're doing research right now supported by the NIH, for example, looking at different forms of virtual reality for chronic lower back pain and monitoring people, not for just hours or even days, but for up to, um, up to three months to see if there's sustained differences in the pain experience uh, stratified by different types of virtual reality. Um, so, you know, the goal, of course, is to reduce opioid use as well as reducing pain. Um, there is some evidence uh, already that VR is similar to opioids in reducing acute pain in terms of the effect size that it achieves. A number of studies have shown that now, including one head-to-head -head study uh, against um, a Vicodin. Uh, but we don't have long-term evidence yet that it can reduce opioids. That's one of the studies we're doing with NIH. And hopefully we'll have more information to report over the coming years as will others as they continue to explore this possibility. Yeah, that would be a great addition if uh, <clears throat> that is proven effective. Right. Well, before we sign off, you, you've already mentioned uh, your book that's coming out, very exciting. And uh, uh, tell us more about what's coming up for you. Yeah, yeah. So the book um, is uh, out uh, now and uh, just come out here in October 2020 as we're recording this. And uh, this, it's called VRX. And the book really, it's about VR, but it's really about what does VR teach us about our own consciousness? What does it teach us about how the mind and body are connected? Uh, and, you know, how can we use it as a legitimate tool within Western medicine to advance mind-body medicine across a wide range of different conditions, some of which we've talked about today. Others including, you know, everything from post-traumatic stress disorder to eating disorders to dementia and schizophrenia um, and, and many other conditions. So the book tells the frontline stories of patients uh, and, and doctors and researchers who are using medical extended reality on the front lines of care. And that term medical extended reality comes from the FDA. And that kind of answers your question about what's next is the FDA now recognizes this really as a new field of medicine, is the way I think about it. They call it MXR, medical extended reality. So you know that when the FDA is looking at it seriously and thinking about the regulatory landscape around this, this field, that it's starting to become a real codified you know, field of medicine. 
uh, not just an area of research within psychology laboratories, which has created the foundation for what we're doing, but now a true clinical discipline. And my hope is in the next you know, five years, certainly 10 years, that we're going to see this field expand, that we'll start to see virtualists who are really learning how to use this technology. And in the last chapter of the book, I, I sort of uh, spell out what this might look like and, and what everyday life in the hospital might look like uh, and in the clinics uh, with the availability of really high quality mixed reality technology to expand our capabilities beyond what we currently can do as, as doctors and clinicians. Well, that's great. It's uh, very exciting to look into the future and seeing this in uh, common practice. Absolutely. So, well, thanks, uh, Dr. Spiegel, and thanks for everyone listening today. Please subscribe. Our podcast drop every other Wednesday at noon and join us for the Accelerate Health digital series. Go to hymns.org slash events. And we hope you will join us for future episodes. Until then, be bold, be you, and keep on accelerating.